Living Time and the Integration of the Life by Dr. Morris Nichol. We're going to pick up with now. Let us turn to further confirmation found in the notes of further experiments. You remember we were talking about Ramsey, who was using ether, doses of ether, to experiment expanding his consciousness. You know, I don't know what to say about this. We'll just deal with it. Four doses were taken over a period of six minutes. After the third dose, the assistant notes that Ramsey is in the stage of repetition and close to unconsciousness. Ramsey then exclaims, This is the scheme of the universe and my being here. But I've never reached the point of having taken ether before. Okay, now I know that you're not following because I can tell by the looks on your faces and your furrowed brows. But what he's saying is, he's reached the stage of repetition. So he's saying, this is the scheme of the universe and my being here. So he realizes that the scheme of the universe is that he has to be right here in this place right now doing this exact thing. But he hasn't reached a stage where he's yet taken the ether. You're not following me. So he's repeating. It's recurrence. Yeah, it's recurrence. But he hasn't come to the point where he's taken the ether. Do you understand? In his past recurrences? Well, no, there is no past and there is no future. There is only here and now. And he is in the here and now. But he knows that in this here and now, he has not reached the point where he's taken the ether. But I have never reached the point of having taken the ether before. After the final dose, he says, I see you think I have had enough. (laughs) I will stop short to explain. In the ordinary work-a-day world, this is an untenable theory. I mean the sense of myself alone, of what affects me. There is a series of precisely similar events. I believe, as far as I can comprehend, that this is the universe. At a certain point, the order of reason alters. This time has brought me a stage further. That is wrong. The notes are fragmentary. But I think that the last sentence refers to some uncertainty in his mind as to whether he had ever taken either before or not in the cycles of recurrences. In the first experiment, he had the strong impression that every detail of the events that he was in had happened before. In the above experiment, he feels that he had never reached the point of having taken ether before. But in both experiments, the sense of recurrence and of the universe being made up of cycles of events is the same. Are you with me? So what he's experiencing is he's understanding that the universe is made up of cycles of events. So they recur over and over again. But he's saying that in this one, he's not sure he's come to the point in the recurrence where he's taken the ether. But that's not important. What's important is that he understands, he fully comprehends the recurrence of things. And he knows that if he hasn't reached the point of taking the ether, that he will reach it. There are times in your life, you must have had this, maybe you haven't, but you must have had this experience to understand it, where you come to a point and you know what's going to happen next. And you know that right now you have a decision to make. How will I deal with what's going to happen next? You know what's going to happen next, and you know how you dealt with it last time. And now you have a choice. Am I going to deal with it the same way as I did last time, or am I going to rise above it and deal with it in a better way this time? And mostly what you do is the same thing, because you're idiots. We're idiots, if that'll make you feel better. I don't know why it makes people feel better to be told that we're idiots than you're idiots. Well, yes, I do know why. What is the answer to that? Why is it? Pride and vanity. 
It's like, if we're all idiots, that's fine. But if you're not an idiot, that's not fine. If the guy telling me that I'm an idiot is not saying he's an idiot too, we get all uppity about it. It doesn't change the fact that you're an idiot, but it makes you feel, I don't know, it's insane. But for some reason, that's where we get stuck, and we love to stay stuck there. So this experiment ends with a note, Here I have recognized the ultimate scheme of the universe, as far as I am concerned, up to a certain stage. So he's saying, look, I've got it. Up to a certain stage, I've got it. I understand the ultimate scheme of the universe, how it works, what it's about, up to a certain stage. It will probably be worked out when I die, he says. Yet, that is not the end. I shall go on after that. But to what? I will take ether again. It's difficult not to conclude that Ramsey saw, during the experiments, certainly not after, some special significance as regards himself in taking ether. It gave him some insight or knowledge that he connects with the evolutionary process of his life. He sees, during the experiment, clearly enough that his life repeats itself and that he will come back to the same point again and perhaps get beyond it. I think I've already told you about the children of Israel going around the mountain. Well, they went around the mountain 40 years. Repeat, 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 repeat. And they finally stopped going around the mountain. When do you suppose you stop going around the mountain? When you don't need to go around the mountain again because you got it. What this is about, recurrence, is you'll keep doing it until you get it. It's almost like it was in the old days, before the educational system was completely corrupted, when they didn't pass people just because it was politically correct and expedient to do so. They only passed people who passed, who did the work, who earned it. Now it's not like that. Now all you have to do is just be there and they pass you. That's why there are so many stupid people and ignorant people in the world and uneducated people in the world because, well, in, in this country, I don't know about the rest of the world, but because we just push them ahead because we can't tell them you failed because we're not allowed to say that anymore because it might hurt their feelings. Exactly. Or it might be politically incorrect, or it might be racist because they failed because they were the wrong color, or the right color, whatever. I don't even know how to look at it anymore. It's all so mixed up and insane that, you know what it's like? It's like Alice in Wonderland. It's like the Mad Hatter's Tea Party, where everything is something else, and it all changes instantaneously, and nothing makes any sense because nothing is real. Meaning, nothing is real. Nothing has anything to do with the established principles of life. It's all altered by language. We change language to alter reality. So the purpose of language now is not to convey truth, but to alter reality. This is a very bad thing in the de-evolution of mankind. We're now going backwards. We're now using something that was to bring light to now bring darkness, to obfuscate. Because obfuscation is the only way to proceed with this insane idea that we seem to have that everybody has to be equal. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to eliminate scale from the universe. We're trying to make everything this monotone, this one chord, this one note. And everyone will just have to be there. So what we do, rather than lift up the people who are below us, 
we bring down the people who are above us. We cut off the heads of the highest grain in order to make it all equal, in order to make it... It's like grass. You know, it's like we just go out there with a lawnmower and we cut the grass to make it all equal because that's what we want. That's what looks good. There's no grain. No, of course there's no grain because we cut it all off before it can produce any fruit. And that's why we are suffering in the world so much today. That's why there is so much lack, because we will not bear fruit. Because in order to bear fruit, you have to mature. In order to mature, you must be above something that's immature. And that is unacceptable in our political idea of scale, or no scale, as it were. The notes on the third experiment, which lasted for over 10 minutes, eight doses being taken, are as follows. After the fourth dose, he says... It is one or the other theory of the universe, and mine must be the most probable. I may be the central person in the universe. I don't mind. I can't help it. So what he's saying is, there's only two ways to look at the universe. There's only two ways to see this. And mine is the one that's probably the truth. And in mine, I'm probably the central person in the universe, but I don't mind because I can't help it, because that's the way it is. After the sixth dose... The universe is in our brain. Is this a big thing? Do you hear the man sawing more or less quickly? Now I breathe hard. Now I note appearance of a particular man there, pointing to the fireplace, whom I never asked you to note before, nor will now. But he appears as part of the universe. Now this probably doesn't make a lot of sense to you. But having taken LSD once, well, more than once, but the first time I ever took LSD, I was my early 20s. Now, I was doing it the same way he's doing it. I was doing it as, as an experiment in order to try to wake up because I knew that somehow there was something that I was lacking, that I was like everyone else. And everyone else was asleep. So I wanted to wake up. I wanted to know what there was to know because I knew there were people who had awakened and knew something that we who were sleeping didn't know. I wanted to know that. Well, the way to know that at that time was a psychedelic drug. So I took it. And I remember very clearly, as if it were two minutes ago, going outside, I was in Florida, and going outside, it was night, and looking at the trees and realizing they were breathing. They were alive. And they were breathing. And realizing my unity, my oneness with them. And I remember there were other people in this garden. And I went and told them, the trees are breathing. And they looked at me like I was nuts and said, well, of course they're breathing. They're always breathing. And that was the difference between theory and seeing. I saw it. They knew the theory intellectually. They had the knowledge of it, but they had no experience of it. But I had the experience of it. For me, it was profound. It was a turning point in my life. It was like, no, you don't get it. And of course, they didn't get it specifically because they thought they had it. That's when I understood that we think we know things that we do not understand. We intellectually grasp them, but we do not see them, we do not understand them. They do not belong to us. Something doesn't belong to you just because you see it. It's different. But we'll get into that in a little bit. So what he's saying is that particular man there, pointing to fireplace, whom I never asked you to note before, nor will now, but he appears as part of the universe. Let's piece together Ramsey's impression of the nature of the universe. He has seen the universe under the aspect of cycle and stage. So he's seen that the universe has cycles. Now, we all 
understand this theoretically. You understand that the seasons are cycles. You understand that the sun, well, you understand the earth spinning and the sun appearing to rise and set is a cycle. You understand the lunar cycles. You understand these things. When I say understand, I mean you accept them intellectually. You grasp them intellectually. Or are the lunar cycles yours? No. I'll guarantee you they're not yours. You have no idea how to plant according to the lunar cycles. No idea whatsoever. You can consult the almanac and find out, but you don't really know. The farmer's almanac, is that what it's called? You can consult that and know, but that's ancient for us. We are not connected with that any longer. Now, maybe farmers are, but I doubt very many, because mostly they're corporate farmers now. Mostly there are no farmers left. And even people who garden, they don't know anymore. We've lost it. We've lost almost everything connected with the earth and our connection with the earth. But that's neither, well, I was going to say that's neither here nor there, but it's very important. So he has seen the universe under the aspect of cycle and stage. In the above experiment, he sees a man as part of the universe. In our ordinary state of consciousness, we don't see anything as part of the universe. We see everything as this separate thing here and now. And we see no connection with ourselves or the universe whatsoever. We see merely a small portion of the world in three dimensions in which everything seems separate. You don't see your ultimate unity with everyone else in this room. You see everyone else in this room as everyone else in this room, as separate from yourself. It takes a conscious act of will for you to try and connect with other people in this room. And it's very difficult. In one experiment, Ramsey wrote, With the consciousness of writing, sitting at this table, with a handkerchief at my mouth, a door on my right, a window on my left, a cigarette on the table, I'm wearing striped trousers, and there is a caned bottom chair on my left, a ticket before me, and a book open at page 8. All these and other things convince me, as I have been convinced before by seeing a piece of crumpled paper, that this is a stage in the cycle of the universe. He is completely cognizant that this very moment is the only possible way it could be. It could be no other way. It has to be the way it is, or else the universe would collapse in on itself. The notion is that I alone am privileged to see all this. It is a place in my development. So what he's saying is that this is mine. This moment is my timeline through the universe. This is my moment, my opportunity to develop. This is a stage, a place in my development. In all that he says about sitting at the table, wearing striped trousers, etc., he is, of course, describing nothing ordinary. Now, see, this is the thing. We think, oh, no, he's just describing what's there. You don't describe what's there like that. When do you describe what's there like that? Don't fool yourself. That's not how you look at things. You don't see things like that. He's describing nothing ordinary. He's aware of a new and tremendous significance entering into familiar objects. And this is exactly what I was saying about the trees. I was aware of this new and tremendous significance entering into familiar objects, the trees. I'd seen trees forever. For all my life, I'd seen trees. I wasn't born where there were no trees. Where I was born, there were trees. And everywhere I lived, there were trees. Trees were familiar to me. But I was seeing them with a new and tremendous significance. They are all part of the universe. He perceives that each object must be just like that at that time, 
just where it is and in just that state because it is part of the alwaysness, that is, part of the higher dimensional world. The moment that I realized that trees were breathing, that they were alive, that they were there and that they knew they were there and that I knew they were there, I knew that that moment was up to that point one of the most important moments of my life. Trying to share it with other people who were not having that experience, who were not in that state of consciousness, not in that higher dimensional world, was pointless because all they could see was, oh yeah, of course they're breathing. Oh yeah, because they're alive and trees breathe. So we all know that, but not in the same way. Are you with me on this? Okay. For example, he says in another place, my eye caught sight of a Bunsen burner, a common object in every laboratory. And here again, I knew it had been there through endless ages. Some noise, the emptying of a cart of coals in the street perhaps, struck my attention. I not merely knew that it had happened before, but I could have predicted that it would happen at that particular moment. His consciousness had expanded so that everything he saw and heard contained an echo created by the universe itself. He saw the Bunsen burner outside of passing time, in time and eternity. Seen ordinarily, it is where it is because someone happened to put it there. This is how we see things. That pillow is there because somebody happened to put it there. But what he was seeing is that pillow was there because that pillow has always been there, because that pillow is part of the universe and it will always be there. And see, that's just not the way we think, because that's not the way we perceive, because in our ordinary consciousness down here, we can't see that higher dimension. All we can see is this cross-section of the pencil passing through our two-dimensional paper world. Or in this case, all we can see is this moment, which is the cross-section of time that we can perceive in this third dimension. And we don't see where it's coming from or where it's going. We are blind. The coal cart is outside the house because someone brought it there, because coals were ordered. Ramsey saw another order of cause. He didn't see it as someone ordered the coal, and that's why it's here. He saw a higher order of cause. It had to be there, because that moment had to happen in order for the universe to be whole, complete, intact. To perceptual consciousness, the cart might just as well be in another place, or come earlier or later. But under the aspect of higher space, it is necessarily where it is, just then, right then at that moment. That coal cart is always emptying coals at that point in time, and the moment is always recurring to any consciousness apprehending it. It will be there for eternity for any consciousness that can apprehend it. Just like that pillow will be there for any consciousness to apprehend. It is the event of the coal cart emptying coals that is always repeating itself to the mind perceiving it, as a book will always repeat itself to the consciousness that reads it. I try to buy books that someone else has owned. I try to do that for a number of reasons. One is because a lot of books that I want you can't get because they're out of print. And the other one is because there are some people who mark their books. Some people put their names in their books. Some people give a book to someone else and they say to blah, blah, blah. And I like that. I like to be a part of that. And I like to see what someone else thought when they were reading a book. So some people write in the margin. As you know, in all my books, I highlight them. And I like to see other people highlight books. I like to see what was important to them, where they were in that moment, in their own personal development. 
And I like to go back to my books that I have marked, and I like to read them again. And I always find there's sometimes when I'll mark the exact same thing. Many times I'll mark the exact same thing. But other times I'll mark something entirely different that had never occurred to me at that moment. It was not significant to me at that moment, back when I read it before. But now I have grown. I've developed a little bit more, and so I see something more. For me, reading a book is not just, you know, the book will always repeat itself to the consciousness that reads it. But you can go back to a book and it will tell you something different when your consciousness is different. But the book is the same. And no matter who reads it, the book is the same. But some people will get one thing and other people will get another thing according to their stage of development. So to the experiencing mind is part of a cycle always recurring, but only sensed as recurrence when consciousness is exalted. You don't see this moment as recurring. You see this moment as new right now, the only time you've ever been in it. But in an exalted consciousness, you would see it as recurring. And for itself, it is always existing. This moment is always existing for eternity. Therefore, to the exalted consciousness, into every experience, there enters the feeling of eternity. Not in the sense we have spoken about in the previous chapter, namely, the sense of fullness and infinity of possibilities, but in the sense of the everlastingness, indestructibility, or eternity of each moment of time. The arrangement he describes of things on the table, the ticket, the book opened at page 8, etc., are seen in the same strange light. Even the book opened at page 8 is part of the universe. It is possible to come to the conclusion, theoretically, that everything happening at this moment is necessarily a stage in the cycle of the visible universe. But this is not knowledge as seeing. We do not see a piece of crumpled paper as rooted in the universe as an essential part of it, always in that state just then. No. Sometimes we see a crumpled piece of paper as just trash. Rarely do we ever see a crumpled piece of paper as a significant part of the universe. Because we are asleep. Because down here in this state of sleep, we don't see much of anything. We don't know much of anything. This is a terrible blow to the ego of modern man. But it is the truth. We cannot exclaim with Ramsey, this one little piece of the enormous coherence of the universe, utterly ridiculous in its smallness, the crumpled piece of paper. But he's saying that the universe could not be complete without it. We do not see this invisible interconnection, for to see it we must be aware of immense background, a back world, a world at the back of the visible world, a world of higher space. It was quoted in the first chapter, page 15, that if the senses were eliminated, the world would appear as a unity. If it weren't for your senses, you couldn't be separate. This is, I think, what Ramsey understood in the state of consciousness induced by ether. In our ordinary state, when the senses alone govern us and work in their customary way, we see and feel nothing of the enormous coherence and unity of the universe. We don't see the trees breathing and alive. Go ahead, lie to me and tell me that when you see trees, you think, oh, the trees are breathing, they're alive. You don't. Nor do we realize anything of a like nature about our own lives. We are confined to the pinpoint of an apparently momentary existence. Nothing is added to our perceptions. The real is what we see, and we see only multiplicity on all sides without clear connection or meaning. Most people live their lives almost completely devoid of meaning. And what meaning they have is derived from the five senses and what other people have told them. Rarely ever from a higher space. 
from the rope hanging above, from our connection to eternity, which is the now. This now moment is our connection to eternity. Where Ramsey sees everything in its place, necessarily just where it is, apart from the ordinary reasons why we think a thing is where it is, he perceives that in this universe of alwaysness and recurrence, there is the possibility of getting beyond the repetition of the same experiences. Seen from within, from the inner, the universe is made up of cycles of recurrence, which represent for us stages or states. We can go on a little bit because yeah, this is a touchy place, though. Yeah, this is a really touchy place, but we've got some time. Let's go on a little bit and see what we can make of this. Let's think of these stages as corresponding to degrees of understanding, each of which gives a standpoint that implicates both inner and outer. So now we're going to look at stages that are going to be degrees of understanding, and each one will implicate both inner and outer. We can take an illustration. Ramsey reaches a certain stage of understanding which he describes and with which he becomes quite familiar. At this stage, he says, it looks to me as if the universe were the creation of a demon. That is, this is one possible way of viewing the universe, one state of understanding it. Now, can you see in your life how many times you have seen the universe as something created by a demon? When you were going through a divorce, the universe was something created by a demon. Do you understand what I'm saying? When you were in some kind of hard situation, the universe was all negative, all something just horrible. So you can see this. Good. But he says this is only one possible way of understanding it. He feels that he can get beyond this stage or standpoint, and the getting beyond is connected with the evolution of the universe. Again, understand that the inner is meant. The universe in man's mind, or as man's mind. He's not talking about the universe as we see it. We look out there and we go, oh, look at the stars and the galaxies and the universe, and that's not what he's talking about. He is talking about the universe inside where he is connected, absolutely connected to the universe, and the universe is absolutely connected to him. I've said this to you a dozen, no, more than a dozen times, in so many ways, and hopefully you will understand it in a new way. He's talking about the microcosm and the macrocosm. He's talking about man is part of the macrocosm, and that man is also the microcosm in the macrocosm, but yet man within the microcosm is the macrocosm. Okay, well, I'll just let you think about that for a while. He says, this is a stage in the development bound to occur. I ask the reader to particularly notice this part. If in our growth of understanding we are bound to reach successive stages, and eventually one of seeing everything as the work of a demon, how are we to get beyond the stage of complete denial? Ramsey says the stage is bound to occur, but each time I can stop and anticipate it. Now, you know that you are going to see the universe as created by a demon again. Don't you know that? You know that. Now, if you can anticipate that you will see it again, it will recur. You are going to have another bad negative state that you're going to be in. And you're going to see it all wrong. Now, can you anticipate that and do something about it? Now I want to go on a stage further, if you will let me. By realizing that it is a state of mind that is bound to come and that it always recurs, you are always going to have another negative state and it's going to be like the last negative state because all negative states are essentially the same. They're all denial. They're all separation. Ramsey feels that he can get beyond it. He sees the state objectively and does not fall under its power in the experiment. Once again, we must clearly understand that Ramsey is seeing the universe as a mental process and not as a sensible object. 
He's not seeing it through the senses. He's not looking at the stars and all that. He's not looking at it that way. He inhales a further dose. Now I am beginning to get into a new dose. There are two theories of the universe. One individual undergoes a series of mental transformation. People choose to imagine there are worlds. That is to say, they build mental cosmogenies. I take this passage as meaning that the two theories of the universe, inner and outer, are as follows. One, the universe is in our brain. Now, he has in our brain in quotes because it's not really in our brain. And thus, everyone is at the center of the universe. The evolution of the universe is then a series of mental transformations and stages of understanding in the man himself. I know you get that, right? According to one's level, so one sees the universe. And so it is, at that stage of understanding, or level, that is, the universe must be all things to make our growth possible. So what he's saying is that the reason that pillow is there, the reason that crumpled piece of paper is there, is so that everyone has the opportunity to get there. It has to be that way forever, so that everyone has the opportunity. Just like the letters on this page that form the words, they have to be there every single time for every person who picks up this book. Not every person will perceive them. Maybe not the first time, maybe not the second time, maybe not the third time, maybe not the billionth time. But eventually, everyone will have to come to this place in order to understand this. What is this place? This place in that stage of their development. That doesn't mean this particular place, this particular book, but in that stage of their development. For growth to be possible, the universe must be all things. Now, the second view, the other view, is that we imagine that external visible world, planets and stars, constitute the universe, and that is all that we understand by the term. Then we form cosmogenies in our minds, following the evidence of the senses, and then we speculate about nebular hypotheses, action at a distance, gravitation, a four-dimensional continuum, receding star islands, etc., so there's two ways of looking at this, the outside way, and that completely absorbs people. They are completely taken in by that. And then there's this other way. But in this other way, you must swim upstream. It takes effort, effort, effort. But the outer way takes no effort at all because you're constantly being sucked out of yourself, sucked out of your soul through the five senses. You're being drained of your life force, and it's being squandered into a world that just gobbles it up. Do you get that? That people's whole lives are sucked right out of them into the world. But that some people fight it, swim upstream, and they go inside and find the real world, the real universe, their real selves, their real purpose. The first view of the universe as a series of mental transformations makes oneself and the universe identical. There is no separation between me and the universe and the universe and me. The universe is in me and I am in the universe, both at the same time. The universe is given, as it were, to everyone as seed or microcosmos within him to develop as he pleases. As microcosmos in man, it can evolve or not evolve. Our own inner struggle for light then becomes the evolving universe. It constitutes the universe in evolution or devolution. And as regards this individual evolution of the universe in a man, there are stages or states of understanding that must be passed. There are stages, there are states. You have come to me and talked to me about things you were struggling with, and I've said, yes, I've been there, and here's what's next. And I can tell you what's next. I can tell you the next state. Why is that? Well, because I've traveled that road. 
And that road means that there is something that comes next. You go to the stop sign, and then you turn left, and you go past the gray house on the right-hand side, and then you go two more houses, and it's on the left-hand side. There'll be a drive. You know how to do this. Well, internally, it's the same way. There are stages that are just like that. There are recurring cycles of precisely similar mental events, identical standpoints and experiences. Just as in a journey in outer space, people must pass through the same areas. So in this inner journey in psychological space, the understanding reaches definite stages. And of these, one is the stage at which one must see everything as meaningless, evil, or useless. In other words, created by a demon. And you can see that people get stuck in this. Everything is the creation of a demon. This attitude develops in the inner life at a certain point, even mark you when one has already seen and understood the world differently. So you have seen and understood the world differently as something created by a demon. And yet you will come to that again. How will you deal with it? Well, that depends on whether or not you're awake, doesn't it? That depends on whether or not you can remember this. You can remember yourself. Why does this point of negation meet us sooner or later? Negation means saying no. The attitude of no. The fascination of denial. Do you understand the fascination of denial? Do you understand how much you love and are fascinated by denial? How many things you love to deny? You hate reality? You want it to be different? This is the story of your life. It can't be this way. It has to be some other way for me to be happy. A certain very powerful poison. I will only say that it is possible to reflect that such a stage must be reached by everyone before any individual solution of the meaning of existence can emerge and before what I will call the act of understanding can awaken fully. You got to get to this. In the darkness of no, a man must fall back entirely on himself. Do you see that no is darkness? In a universe, when God says, let there be light and there was light, to have darkness means you must be in denial. On all he has ever felt and understood and struggle for himself, that is the point, to get beyond this stage so that all getting beyond can only be done through what is most genuine, profound, and sincere in him. Previous enthusiasms will die because they are intrinsically false. The first flush of hope that all new understanding brings must fade. All collective things, outer devotion, faith as ordinarily understood, and dependent beliefs in others must depart because one is confronted by an internal obstacle that only I myself can pass as through my own gate that will open to nobody else's key. My individual mark will be on that key. I don't even know what to say because some of you look perplexed and some of you look pensive and some of you look asleep. So I'll just let it be there. We can imagine the barrier that Ramsey reached under artificial conditions will not seem so easy to pass when it is encountered in the path of a normal development. Just because he reached this point under artificial conditions and he passed it pretty easily, doesn't mean he'll be able to pass it when he comes to it under normal circumstances. And I can bear witness to that. The reason I tell people not to do drugs now is because that's not the way. But you didn't. Yeah, but so what? But I found out that's not the way. But some people will never listen. That's fine. That's their business. But to see it as a stage in those mental transformations that mean development robs it of something of its power. Only to see it internally in this way is one thing. To recognize and meet it in everyday life is quite another thing. 
So yeah, we can talk about it, and you can intellectually grasp it, and blah, 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 blah. But when you meet it face to face, when you come head on with it, it's an entirely different matter. And you must then remember what you intellectually think you grasp now. Will that help you? Yes, it will help you, because it might spark in you self-remembering. And if it does, yourself contains all the answers to every question that you will ever have. They're all in there. Well, I know that because every question, where does a question come from? It comes from in you. Well, then the answer must be in you. Problem is that we look for the answers outside of ourselves rather than inside of ourselves where the questions came from. And that's the problem of the five senses. They're always sucking us outside of ourselves when we need to be going inside of ourselves to get the answers that are asked inside of ourselves. Enough for tonight? Okay. We'll pick up next week where we left off. Two things every